y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Fatty. This week on the show, host of the NPR Code Switch podcast, Shireen Marisol Miraji and Gene Demby. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners and to my guests. We got a package deal this week, a tag team duo. My friends, Shireen Marisol Miraji and Gene Demby, they are the hosts of the Code Switch podcast, NPR's podcast, all about race, ethnicity, and culture. It's been a minute since I've had y'all on the show. Thanks for coming back. It has been a minute. Thank you it for really having us. Been. Yeah. I, so we are doing this thing across the country this week. Shireen is on the other side of Los Angeles from me, and Gene <laughs> yes. Demby is in Washington, D.C., both of y'all are in your closets. Uh, thank you for your service. Appreciate <laughs> You're welcome. Um, we're going to get to the news. This week, Gene uh, and Shireen, we have y'all both on to talk about a big story happening right in front of us right now. But it's a story that mm-hmm. we probably aren't talking about enough. That is the census. Yes, yep. it's happening. But before I get to that, um, I want to ask both of you, if you've heard about the new mascot the federal government has created for this moment of quarantine, there's a mascot. Ooh, I've been so deep in our episodes and producing them that I have no idea what that is. No. Okay. So the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, mm-hmm. uh, they want to increase their messaging around, you know, how to think about all kinds of stuff in the midst of this new time for us. So they have a new fox as their mascot. He is called Quinn the Quarantine Fox. And <laughs> Why a fox? In a write-up with the New York... So, okay, so in an article from the New York Times, they said, quote, the character also nods to the wartime idea of hunkering in a foxhole as more oh. people stay home and brace themselves for change. That seems oh. a little far-field, like, you know what I mean? They've got to explain the <laughs> okay, fox that you don't much. like it. <laughs> also, why all these okay, comparisons to like war? It. I don't like it either. Okay, so then y'all would not do a fox. If y'all had to pick your own quarantine mascot, what animal would it be? Oh, it would be a little chihuahua. Long-haired. Of course. <laughs> of course. Like your dog, like, Shireen. Like my dog, Lola. Just like soothing, not yappy, because people have the wrong idea about chihuahuas. Not all chihuahuas are yappy. Okay, Gene? Uh, I feel like it would have to be like an animal, you know, in the spirit of the moment. It have to be an animal that was like doing something in some collective spirit. It may be staying <laughs> like burrowed, like I don't know, like like an ant, like ant colonies. A prairie like, dog. <laughs> yeah, prairie dogs, perfect example. Prairie dogs, perfect example. I would pick a duck billed platypus. Okay. Because whenever you hear that name, whenever you see it, it makes you stop and go, What is that? What is that thing? And if you're the federal <laughs> government trying to get folks' attention, a duck billed platypus will always stop you in your tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, uh, let's do a hard pivot right now and talk about the census. <laughs> let's do um, it. Each week I have my panelists start with three words to describe their week of news. This week we're going to focus on the census, this big thing that happens every 10 years. It is a big deal. Uh, and it's happening this year even in spite of a global pandemic. Gene and Shireen have been covering the census a lot over at Code Switch. So we're going to spend the next few minutes having them both tell us what's going on with the census right now mm-hmm. and why you should care about that. Uh, so yes. in that spirit, uh, Shireen, you kick it off. What are your three words? They are Hispanic, Latino, Spanish. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> Those are my three words. Explain. Um, yeah. So there are a lot of confused Latinos out there, a lot of confused people in the Latinx community because they have to check mm-hmm. not one box for their ethnic and racial identity on the census, but two boxes. So there's Hispanic, mm-hmm. Latino, and Spanish origin, plus a separate box for their race. So white, black, American Indian, Alaska Native, and there's a few boxes for Asian, and then there's some other race. So a lot of Latinos on Twitter have been like, what is happening right now? (laughs) And, you know, if we talk about that community as well and think about what happened with the census over the last year or so, there was a big fight between the courts and the Trump White House over whether or not you could ask the question, if you're a U.S. citizen, which directly affects the Latinx community. So this is for sure a big deal. Um, Shireen, I want us to dig deeper on those race questions with the census, but I first want to kind of catch up on what's happening with the census. I think a lot of folks might not know that it's still happening right now, right? Like they are still collecting this information and reaching out to people to have them fill it out in spite of the pandemic. But the pandemic has changed how they're doing it. Help me out with this one, Shireen. But they've had to cut field operations for the census right now, which means all the door knockers are not knocking on doors. Right. So the census is still happening. Like you said, the show must go on. This is this thing is 10 years in the making. Mm -hmm. But yeah, census takers, door knockers, they're not knocking on doors right now. That has been postponed. And things are changing all the time. Right now, it's been postponed until May, May 7th for college towns, May 28th uh, for other places in the United States. But, you know, things are very fluid right now because of coronavirus. Yeah. And so then what's also crazy to me is they're still doing census call centers. So folks will call your house to say, hey, please fill this out. But because of coronavirus, the Census Bureau has had to cut the phone line staffing because they want to do social distancing at the call center. So they got to space them out more. So there's Mm -hmm. fewer folks calling, fewer folks answering phones. So there's longer call wait times for folks that want to respond via phone to the census. It's all really crazy. And so there's big questions about whether there can be a complete and accurate count. So many questions that this week, uh, a Democratic House member, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, wrote that Congress should consider delaying the census as long as it can. Yeah, because it is really, really important to have an accurate count. The census is incredibly important. It wields a lot of power. Um, I'm going to keep it simple here. It helps determine political representation, how hundreds of billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars in federal funding get distributed to you know, places like public schools and public hospitals. And if there is an undercount, so not an accurate count, especially already it's really hard to count vulnerable populations. So we're talking about recent immigrants, poor people, people of color. Um, If there's an undercount, especially in these communities, this means they're going to have less of a voice politically, right? Less funding Mm -hmm. for their schools and hospitals, for public transportation in their communities. And because the census only happens, Sam, once a decade where we count every single person living in the United States, we have to deal with these results for 10 more years. Oh, yeah. 
And it's really interesting to think about how the census affects federal money and who gets what right now, Mm -hmm. because we are asking big questions about who gets what help to respond to things like a global pandemic and money tied up with hospitals and healthcare is directly related to the census. You know, Mm -hmm. Gene, I want to bring you in for a bit um, to talk about kind of the history of race in the census. You know, so we've talked about how this really affects marginalized communities and folks of color. But y'all have been looking into just the history of the racial categories in the census. And it's been really messy for a long time, really complicated. And in this weird, strange way, it kind of tells America's history of race. Yeah. One of the things that's fascinating about what Shereen just said about the way that the census affects, like the way our society works, like structurally, is that it also shapes the way we think about ourselves, like the way the categories available Mm. to us change the way we identify. I mean, if we look at the history Mm -hmm of the census and the categories available. Like you can sort of tell what was happening in the country at the time based on what was on the category, like what was available in the race categories. So in 1840, the census had free colored males and females. That was a category and also slaves. Uh, You don't see Indians pop up until 1860 when they're of course people who are Native American in the country before then who just weren't counted. Mm -hmm. Mexican shows up in 1930 and then just goes away and then we don't have a category for the people we consider Latinx or Hispanic. Until they just 1970, took it out for a while. Right? where they they were <laughs> oh here, goodness. you know what I mean? Like, but we just weren't counting them. And so there's a way in which the sort of lived experience of race in America is very different from the way it shows up in the census count for a lot of people. But also, like, it changes the way people identify. So when you look at a category like black, um, which is what we're talking about on one of our upcoming episodes, encapsulates people from the Caribbean and people from Africa who are re- more recent immigrants to the United States. And so when you say Black American in the U.S., when you're talking about something like reparations or even like affirmative action and, and race and higher emissions, like who are we talking about exactly? Exactly. Exactly. I want to talk about something that's happening with a white box. Mm-hmm. This census, people who respond white can also share more info, right? Yeah. So one of the things about the census is that the only category that's been there the entire time from 1790, the very first U.S. census to now is white. Obviously, mm. black people were were there in the beginning, but they were called slaves. But white has been there since the very first census. Um, and so this is the first time that white people will be able to identify more specifically with an ethnic origin or um, refer back to a nationality of their ancestry, mm-hmm. um, which is new. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders, joined by two guests this weekend, Gene Demby and Shireen Marisol Maraji, both of NPR's Code Switch team, which covers race, ethnicity, and culture. And Gene, I just realized that I haven't asked you for your three words yet. What are they? Oh, I was going to say, who is black? Just because we've been, Shireen and I have been sort of digging down on these questions for a couple of weeks. And so I've been just reading all these this data about black people broadly. And I realize that we are talking about these very, very complicated things. Are we talking about Nigerian Americans? Are we talking about Kenyan Americans? Are we talking about people whose ancestry go back to slavery? It's just all, we're missing a lot of nuance in how we talk about black people. Totally. Yeah. Last question for y'all. So far from what we know, the response rate to this census so far has been lower than what it was 10 years ago. There's a good chance that we're having to isolate and distance and quarantine for a while this year. From folks in the know, is it just kind of assumed that this won't be the best count, no matter what the census tries? Well, I mean, there are a lot of organizations who are pushing 
to get especially uh, historically undercounted communities, communities of color, recent immigrants, uh, poor people, uh, people who live on Native American reservations. They're really still trying their best to get an accurate count from those places. So, you know, the fight has not stopped. Like people haven't given up and said, oh, well, guess we're not going to have an accurate count. I mean, this is so important that there have been a, a lot of organizations that have come together and they're really trying to figure out how to make this happen. Um, but, you know, there have been a lot of obstacles. You mentioned one, which was the citizenship, the proposed citizenship question, which didn't end up on the census, but still freaked out a lot of immigrants um, and immigrant communities. And then, you know, now we have the coronavirus epidemic. And so I don't know. I mean, I, I want to stay positive, but it's not looking great. Yeah. Weird times. Uh, if you want to hear more about the census, check out NPR's Code Switch podcast. Also, Code Switch is doing a big push around a lot of really great episodes right now. For the next few weeks, they're going to have some great stuff for you to listen to. Give our listeners a peek of what's going to be in y'all's podcast feed. Well, Gene talked about who's black and then how that translates into who could get reparations if that happens. Um, I'm doing an episode about how white people feel in 2020, how they identify, what does it mean to be white? What does white identity look like when demographics are shifting so rapidly in this country? Um, so that's a that's going to be a quite controversial episode, I think. <laughs> It'll be, it, it, yeah, that's going to be an interesting <laughs> listen. That's what we want. That's what we want. Love it. Love it. Bring the controversy. <laughs> All right, coming up, how hard is it to be pregnant right now? All around the world, families are having to drastically change their plans for upcoming childbirths because of coronavirus. We will talk with one expectant mother after the break. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. You check things all the time, like your email or social media. What about checking something as important as your credit score? Discover makes it quick, easy, and free with their credit scorecard, even if you're not a customer. See your FICO credit score, the score used by 90% of top lenders, and other important credit information. Learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard. Limitations apply. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Walton Family Foundation, where opportunity takes root. More information is available at waltonfamilyfoundation.org. When the economy goes haywire, Planet Money is here to make sense of it for you. From the big bailouts to the tiny details of a vaccine stockpile. One of the first things we did was secure a large number of chicken flocks. So these are like hard-working government chickens? They are hard-working government chickens. That's NPR's Planet Money podcast. Listen now. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, joined this weekend by two guests, Shireen Marisol Maraji and Gene Demby, the hosts of NPR's Code Switch podcast, the show all about race, ethnicity, and culture. They're both joining me from their closets this morning. I appreciate you. Thank you all for being here. We love you, Sam. Anything for you. <laughs> all right. Want to move to our next segment, but first I want to share with you both the story that made me laugh the most this week. It is a story about a movie you may find yourself watching right now as we all spend our time socially distancing at home. I'll play a bit of the movie, see if you can guess it. 
Because jellicles can and jellicles do. Jellicles do and jellicles Oh, I know what this is. Yes. What is it? It's cats. It's cats. It's cats. So cats is the <laughs> cats as a film it kind of has nine lives pun intended mm-hmm. this movie came mm-hmm. out months ago and it was a very big flop but it's just remained in the ether it's already become this kind of cult favorite and just recently it came out on demand so you can watch the horror that is cats the musical movie at home but there was a big story this week about cats which just keeps the cats plot line going um this week, the Daily Beast reported that there was a version of the movie that was never released in which the cat-human-cat things uh, had visible backsides, really anatomically correct backsides. Wait. I'm just going to be... It's like, a, like a cat... Cat buttholes. Can we say that? Butthole? I mean... Yes. You can, I guess you can say it. You can see the cat buttholes. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. We're going to get yeah. letters. We're going to get letters. I'm sorry. Weeks before the film was supposed to hit theaters, uh, the visual effects team was told to take out all the cat buttholes. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, like, racing and frantically speeding to get all of these cat wow. backsides out of the film before oh it's released. Gosh. And now they're finally speaking their truth and saying, we didn't like that process. That was strange. It's wild because of everything you heard about this movie, it's not like that was the thing that was going to make or break it. You know what I mean? Like, that was the thing that was going to keep it from being, like, distasteful. You know what I mean? <laughs> or a disaster. Oh, yeah. I know. It's like exactly. Having the holes or not having the holes wouldn't have made this film better right, or right, worse. Right. Uh, anyways, there's really no way to pivot to our next story from that. So we're just going to talk about pregnancy during the time of coronavirus right now. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Hard pivot. <laughs> So right now, a lot of parents-to-be are wondering how they will deal with the birth of a new child in the midst of all this coronavirus chaos. Most hospitals are very different places than they were a few months ago, and there are still big questions about how coronavirus can affect newborns and expecting mothers. So I called up one expectant mother to see how she is doing. Hello. Hello. Hi. Is this Taylor? Yes, it is. How are you? I'm good. Taylor DeClue lives in New Orleans, but right now she is stuck in St. Louis. Taylor and her fiancé were visiting her family to have a baby shower just for the weekend. Uh, But while they were in St. Louis for that baby shower, things got so bad in New Orleans that Taylor made the call to stay in St. Louis just an hour before her flight. So now she is away from home, about to give birth. I talk with Taylor about how she's dealing with this really big change and how she's trying to stay positive. So then all of a sudden, you've got, what, maybe a week's worth of stuff, and now you're living out the rest of your pregnancy. Like, are you living in your mother's house right now? I'm currently staying with my aunt, who's right down the street from my mother as well. There's just a little bit more room here. And then there was another part, my fiance, he actually went home. So he took the plane ticket that he was supposed to originally go home with. He went home and decided that he didn't want to be away for too long. So he got off the plane same night, drove 10 hours from New Orleans back up what? to St. Louis. So, Wow. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. This is a lot to be with as you're very pregnant. <laughs> yeah, it was very unexpected, but I'm glad he came. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, how is being so close to your mother again in an unexpected way just like affecting your day to day? Like I heard that you actually vented about your mom on Instagram one day recently. 
I did, and I absolutely adore my mom. I love her very much. But <laughs> with everything changing, including my birth plan, um, things have gone up and down with that as well. At the beginning of my pregnancy, I did originally want a home birth, which is funny enough because that's what it's turning into now. <laughs> of course, I told my mom about that, and she's just all the way no. Like, no, no, no. You need to be around a doctor. You need to really? be seen by professionals. It was just a hard decision that I had to make and then having to kind of explain myself to my mom as well. Yeah. Well, and then also just logistically, you've got to rebuild your whole baby delivery crew new doctor new nurse new plan because you're in a different city all of a sudden how difficult has just the logistics of this switch up been for you that was really hard i think the first week that i got here i had already missed um, my 32 week appointment which was one of the more important ones because we're getting closer to the end and i promised my mom that i would see an ob when we got here just because I needed to be seen just to make sure baby was okay. Um, I did go into a hospital that's in this area and it was really uncomfortable for me. I mean, already going into a place that looks like a ghost town was insane. And then, you know, you get to the door, they check your temperature. I was escorted from the door to the elevator, escort from the elevator to the desk. I had to go alone. My fiance could not go with me in there. And just the whole situation with the OB, it just felt very uncomfortable. It didn't feel welcoming. I didn't feel safe. Not as if anyone was going to harm me, but just the the birthing experience that I had previously at least started to have in New Orleans, I didn't feel comfortable with here necessarily. So that was a little bit difficult too. Yeah. I mean, and also like y'all are going to have so many stories to tell this child. So many stories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is bringing you joy or hope or uplift right now in this weird time funny enough um the thing that's bringing me the most joy right now has been preparing with the doula that we found she has been really really great um so getting to talk with her every day has been calming me down through all yeah. this so can the doula be there when it's time to give birth or like do you have to have a zoom meeting with your doula well, we've been having virtual sessions with her just to prepare for everything every week. But the day that I do go into labor and birth, we are supposed to go over to her house, which she has maintained a cleanly space. I trust her. The whole family trusts her to okay. go ahead and bring him into this area. So it'll just be a secluded space with all of us. When's your due date? May 8th. Have you thought about what'll be the first thing you say to your baby? <laughs> I've thought about that a million times. Um, I did post something on my Instagram the other day. I said the first thing I wanted him to experience when he came out was just hearing me and his father's voice. I think just hearing that I love you first would be most important. That's probably been the most important thing I've heard this entire time that I've been going through this. Um, it's just that reminder that even through all of this, we have each other. Yeah. Well, I wish you all the best with you and your family and your baby. And please send us some pictures of that newborn as soon as they arrive. <laughs> of course, thank you so much. Thanks again and congrats to Taylor and her fiance figuring out pregnancy in the midst of coronavirus. All right, we're back with Gene Demby and Shireen Marisol Miraji of NPR's Code Switch team. 
it's really interesting for someone like Taylor. You know, she is a soon-to-be black mother, and we know that black mothers just have worse outcomes in childbirth, period. And so she's dealing with that while also seeing all this data about how the coronavirus affects Ugh. black people more than other groups. Right. It is a really interesting time to think about what it means to be black in the healthcare system. Yeah, I mean, one of the things the coronavirus seems to be exposing is a lot of the sort of cracks in our system that predate, you know, the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. We live in one of the richest countries in the world, and we shouldn't be having, you know, maternal death rates for African-American women that are as high as they are. I mean, this, and we shouldn't have Latinos and African-Americans dying from coronavirus in the numbers that they are in certain places. It's just, it's, I'm really hoping that we do something about this. Yeah. All right. Congrats again to Taylor and her fiancé and all of her family and her auntie and her mama. Like, <laughs> wishing the best for all of you. Uh, it's time for a break right now. When we come back, we're going to play my favorite game, Who Said That? Support for NPR comes from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. Hey, Mindy here from the Wow in the World Science Podcast for Kids and Families. If you're looking for fun ways to educate and entertain your kids, we've got you covered five days a week. On Mondays, go on a scientific adventure with Wow in the World, and Tuesdays through Fridays, play along with our new game show, To What's in a Wow. It's Wow in the World from Tinkercast and NPR. Subscribe and listen now. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, joined this weekend by two guests, Gene Demby and Shireen Marisol Maraji, the hosts of NPR's Code Switch podcast, the show all about race, ethnicity, and culture, with the tagline, race in your face. I like that. <laughs> I really do. I'm so glad you do. Yes. Race in your face. All right. It is time to play my favorite game, Who Said That? Gene and Shireen, y'all both have played this game before, but never played it against each other. You know how it goes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. So I share three quotes from the week. You have to guess who said that. I'll give you hints, and as long as you get a keyword from the story, you'll be fine. Uh, the winner, of course, per usual, gets absolutely nothing. As a special treat this week, this is an all-sports edition of Who Said That? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose. Oh, this is in my wheelhouse. <laughs> Okay, here we go. (laughs) It's going to be fine. First quote, this event has always sought to buy the optimum insurance coverage available. What event are we talking about? This is a big sporting event in which the organizers had been paying for insurance for years. And because they canceled the event, they are going to get a payout of $141 million. What is a sporting event? The Olympics? <laughs> it usually involves one of two famous sisters, if not both. Oh. Oh, Wimbledon. Wow. Did I get that? Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I'm so proud of myself. So there's been this weird thing happening right now. All of these major sporting events are having to either cancel or postpone. Mm-hmm. But 
as we know, all of these things have insurance policies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Wimbledon figured out that there is a distinction uh, on the payout based on whether you cancel your event or whether you postpone your event. And because hmm. Wimbledon had a policy that they had paid into for nearly 20 years and they canceled it the right way, they got a payout of $141 million. Wow. How do I get the work insurance package where I can cancel my <laughs> services and still get a payout? <laughs> like, how do we do that? Be Serena, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Shereen, you got that point. It's time for the next quote. Gene, you can do it. All right. Be strong. Come on, Gene. <laughs> next quote. This quote was uttered by one of the most famous athletes in the world. The quote is, when you go out to the backyard, there's a lot of boats that have pulled up and people out in the front. One of the most famous? An athlete that recently announced a big move to a new house somewhere different than where he's lived for a long time. A-Rod? <laughs> no. Uh, someone in the NFL who's moving. Tom Brady. Yes, Tom Brady. So Tom Brady, the perhaps most famous New England Patriot of all time, the quarterback announced that he is leaving the Patriots for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And in an interview this week with Howard Stern, he told Howard Stern that he's kind of annoyed by the new waterfront mansion he's renting in Florida because it's too close to public water. Ooh, my heart bleeds. Oh. He said that when he's in the house, he can go out to the backyard and, like, see people. And he didn't like that. Well, I don't like him. <laughs> Same. I mean... I don't really know who he is that much, but <laughs> I can't stand him from what I know yeah, of him. Yeah. However, um, Tom Brady did tell Howard Stern that there is enough space for him there. He said, quote, we have my sister-in-law that lives with us, our kids, and we have someone that cooks for us. So everyone's got a little of space. Wow. Must be nice. Wow. <laughs> I think the game is tied. So this one's a tiebreaker. Okay. The stakes is high. This last quote is fill in the blank. It's kind of hard, but I think y'all can do it. The quote is, the major blank chains that should be hot this time of year are closed. The food service side of things, they probably still have blank they bought weeks ago, getting ready for March Madness and for people to come watch the games, but they're not selling them. Mm. What is the food item that's not selling well right now as sporting events are canceled? Chicken wings. Yes. <laughs> oh, I really pulled that one yeah. out of my behind. Okay. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Yes. So because all of the spring and summer sports are being canceled, there's a surplus of chicken wings nationwide. Oh, please. I got you. <laughs> I'll take them off your hands. Yes. So that quote uh, comes from Will Sawyer. Will Sawyer is the lead animal protein economist at a company called CoBank. And he was talking to the Washington Post about how coronavirus has led to this nationwide chicken wing surplus. Um, I just find that hilarious. That is hilarious. Um, the week the NCAA attorney was supposed to begin, wing producers sold 1.24 million pounds of wings. Mm. The Post says last week they only sold 433,000 pounds of wings. Wow. I know. So a dip in the chicken wing market. Lord, protect the lemon pepper wings. Please let Lemon Pepper make it through this year. <laughs> I can't live without it. All right, all right. That concludes Who Said That. Congratulations, Gene. Now it's time to end the show as we always do. Every week, I ask our listeners to share with us the best things that have happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag, and they do. Janae, hit the tape. Hi, Sam. My name is Jasmine. 
The best part of my week was a picture my parents texted to me. They have been helping us cope by recording videos of themselves reading books for our three-year-old. This week, they staged an Easter egg party and read a book with about 10 stuffed animals, but the video didn't go through. So I received a picture of my parents effectively having a tea party surrounded by stuffed animals with no context. Hi, Sam. Uh, My name's Dave Petty from Cortland, Illinois. And the best part of my week was when my wife gave birth to our first child, Melody Marie Curie Petty. She's such a brightness in this dark world. Hi, Sam. The best part of my week was that after two weeks of quarantining by myself, I finally decided to adopt a dog for some company, and she is absolutely perfect. Hey Sam, this is Saya calling from the Bay Area, and the best part of my week has been getting groups of friends together over Zoom to read plays aloud together. Hey Sam, the best part of my week was going to work and getting to deliver twins. Life goes on in the midst of chaos. Hi Sam, this is Ashley from East Greenwich, Rhode Island. The best part of my week was getting a FaceTime call from my mom, who's been in the hospital for 12 days with COVID-19, four days in the ICU on a ventilator. Yesterday, they were able to wean her off. And this morning at 5.30 a.m., she felt good enough to talk to me on FaceTime, so I gladly took that call. Not only was it the best part of my week, it's probably the best phone call I've ever gotten in my life. Thanks so much for your show. It brings me joy every time I listen to it. Thanks for your show. Have a great week. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Thanks. Hope you have a great weekend. Bye. Wow. Yeah, that's that was a good one. Emotional. Oh, my God. I just feel like in this time, all emotions are heightened. And, like, my heart is just swelling hearing these people share the best parts of their week. I'm so happy that they're all doing okay. Thanks so much to those listeners. Ashley, Karen, Saya, Sarah, Dave, and Jasmine. So listeners, we're also trying something new for an upcoming episode. Besides sending in those voice memos of the best parts of your week, I also want you to send us voice memos of whatever you want. It could be happy or sad or funny or weird. Just give us some audio that shows a little bit of slice of life for you right now. You can send us the sound of you Skyping with friends or making a cocktail or just getting something off your chest. Just give us those audio time capsules of what this moment is to you right now. Send those files to samsanders at npr.org, samsanders at npr.org. Thanks to Shireen Marisol-Maraji and Gene Demby, the two hosts of NPR's Code Switch podcast, the show all about race, ethnicity, and culture. This was a delight. Best way to begin my weekend. Thank you both. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate you, man. Stay safe. Of course. Likewise. Likewise. Going to close the show by thanking the folks that are always one of the best parts of my week, the team that makes It's Been a Minute. This week, It's Been a Minute was produced by Janae West, Anjali Sastry, Andrea Gutierrez, and Hafsa Fatima. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hokeman. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Listeners, as always, thank you for listening. Stay safe. Stay home. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll talk soon soon.